out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome back, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Stagner here with my guy, Ron Cop Jr., as always, we're ready to take your questions, bring back some of the segments that, you, that you've started to know and love here in the quiet part of the offseason. we got plenty to talk about today, but Ron, first of all, how are you, my friend? Stags, good to see you. It is a good time. Although, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a weird time in the the only offseason, actual offseason in the NFL calendar. Um, we're not, there's no offseason for, for AP riders getting ready for uh the season man we're, we're still grinding out content so i know you got stuff coming we'll we'll talk about but i just wanted to shout out shout out a few guys before we get going into the podcast today because you know stags we get the we get the blessings of, of being on the pod but not everyone gets to you know show their beautiful faces on on the podcast even though you can only hear us um but i just wanted to shout out a few guys uh and, and by a few i mean everybody um, first of all, shout out uh, Tom Childs and Brad, obviously doing the great British Chief show. Um, Tom Childs, Arrowhead Headlines editor. But I want to shout out Brad for the retro 80s hype video. Stags, did you see that that he posted the other day, the 80s hype video? That was that was Absolutely. that was cool. That was yeah. dope. Really that, cool. Yeah, that was cool. Brad, Brad is always producing good content. Um, Christian, he has his top five offensive plays out right now. I th- I really like that. It's always kind of cool to revisit the actual you know, the biggest plays from last season. Got some good defensive stuff uh, coming to top five defensive plays, I believe. Wanted to shout out my film guys. I got Brian. Um, he just did the Nazi Johnson film review, uh, the seventh round pick, who was hard to find film on him. So shout out Brian for finding that. And then Towns got a little something cooking on J- Jerry and Ely stags. We've been talking about him on the pod. Excited um, for that one. Yes. You know, Pacheco and Ely, that battle. Uh, Jared just dropped the six revenge opportunities, which we actually have a question that kind of goes into that revenge game. So we'll get into a little bit of that. So shout out Jared Sapp. He has that on the site. Mark did the let's argue. He's got that, uh, let's argue piece every week, which I always enjoy. And this week was, this will be the best defense of the Mahomes era, which I like the spiciness of that takes next. Hot take. I know. I actually, I think last year I said that that one was going to be the best one and I was wrong. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Mark doesn't follow those tracks. Uh, shout out Aaron to Aaron Ladd. He had the playground pick him. Uh, you know, who would you take from the AFC West teams and add to the Chiefs? I thought that was cool. And then finally, Rocky Magana, the rookie performance predictions. It, it was actually like a week ago by now, but I thought that was really cool. He had comparisons by PFK grade to other rookies in recent years um, on position and just kind of some cool stats, some notes. So just wanted to give everyone a shout out, dude. It's, it's you know, we're a big family at AP and, and it is more love than they get. So shout out to everybody I just named. It takes some work and some uh, creativity to come up with good content this time of year. Seriously, and, and really, all we're doing right now is making lists and rankings and and things like that. I've, I've got a series that starts this coming week, uh, just ranking the Chiefs roster, as I do with the market movers segment. But going, I'm going to go ahead and go all the way through the top twenty and count them down. Yes. Uh, so hopefully that'll be as controversial as it is fun to write, but it'll give us something to pass the time until St. Joe. 
Yeah, no, top 20. I'm excited for that, Sags. I got to do it last year, and I had a lot of fun breaking it down, thinking about it. Um, I will tell you, last year I had LDT as my 18 or 17, so I don't think it can get as bad as that prediction because uh, that's that was pretty bad. <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> Shout out to the good doctor. He's uh, yeah. It sounds like he's finishing up his uh, his residency programs and taking a break from football and getting back to helping the people. Uh, you can't fault him for that. He was a he's a good man, even if he wasn't the greatest football player for for the for the long term in Kansas City. Anyway, oh, he he won a bowl. That's all that matters, man. He got that ring. Got the ring on his giant fingers that he can use to help uh, all, all the good people in Canada that need a little medical attention. Well, speaking of attention, we've got uh, really the, the, the folks that, that are, are diehard question askers and question answerers. You guys always have our attention. You ask good questions. You give us good, fun stuff to talk about. Uh, this week was no exception. We'll try to get to a few of these today. Uh, let's just start off with our guy, Jake Wilson, at underscore, uh, I'm sorry, Jake underscore four now on Twitter. Do the Chiefs draft selections of Smith, Bolton, Cook, Chanel, and Kennard suggest a more aggressive, physically dominant style of play this season? What's your initial thought on that question, Ron? Yeah, shout out, Jake. I'm glad you you, you said that because the, there's some some superheroes in the uh, on the Twitter sphere in terms of getting us questions because you know it makes the show more fun. You know, because you know it's it's hard to think of every sort of perspective. So shout out, Jake. And I really like this because it's, it's a theme of this offseason. We've talked about it, Stags. And, and I think a lot of people have um, that it's very obvious that that they've, they've made a transition. Now, I, I personally think of this more as a defensive shift. When you look at, you know, the, some of the names he's mentioned, right? Bolton, Cook, and Chanel are defensive players. But look at the guys that have left, right? And, and, and I hate to say it, but you, you kind of, you know, uh, characterize a lot of these guys as, you know, maybe not soft, but just, you know, maybe not as aggressively uh, or physically dominant as you'd like them at their position to be, maybe. And you're talking about guys like Anthony Hitchens, you know, a lot of missed tackles, unfortunately. Tyron Matthew last year, towards the end, at least. Ben Neiman, Sorensen, Mike Hughes even, right, at the cornerback position. I just think it, it is a, definitely a shift when you think about those guys are no longer on the team. And and a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, the things that were bad about their games was just not being physical enough to complete a tackle or physical enough to take on a block, I guess, a little stronger than they need to, right? So I think just in general, he, he's, a, he's, he's seen the theme and he's completely right. And I look at it more, more on defense, but it is a whole team thing, uh, isn't it, Stacks? I think it is, and, and this is an old-school mentality of football, but I remember the, the Christian Okoye Chiefs, you know, the, the, the grinding offensive line, the, the three yards in a cloud of dust offense, and the justification for that was always when you impose your will on a defense, you wear them down, and then when fourth quarter comes around, uh, you're in better shape than they are, right? You're, you're, you've been the aggressor. You've been pushing the, the tempo. You've been physically dominating your opponent, and, and their will to fight back is less by the fourth quarter uh, than yours is. So, you know, in terms of that, it's not just about that brand of smash mouth football on offense that we're not likely to see with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. It's just not going to happen. There's there's no way this team is going to be a run first Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry type offense anytime soon because Patrick Mahomes is not Ryan Tannehill, right? It's, there's a reason that they're going to play the style of football that they play. Yeah. But there is something to be said for 
the the toughness, the the effort, the the aggression again to impose your will on the the other team, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, otherwise, to the point where you are you're setting that tempo, you're setting the 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 tone for the game. And when it comes to the fourth quarter, they're the ones with their hands on their knees. They're the ones chasing and jogging, uh, and your team is the one closing it. Yeah, I, I love that point, Stacks, because you're right. You know, everyone thinks of that physicality, you know, like you said, in the run game. But it really is the entire team that can that can do that. And a lot of that t- goes into effort, too. Like, you, you want guys that give good effort, great effort. And I think it's funny, like a guy like Trey Smith, right? You know, he's physical, nasty. Well, it takes effort to be that extracurricular after the snap. Uh, you know, that, that, that takes effort to really, you know, finish that play through the whistle, you know, a second or two after the whistle. And that's what aggressiveness and physicality really, really comes with. Right. So I think effort goes hand in hand with it. And I think that also plays into, you know, effort in the fourth quarter, even when you're tired. You know, I, I hate to say it, but we've seen some issues maybe from that in the past. Right. I think Chiefs fans can acknowledge that. And we're hoping that these 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 newer guys, these younger guys, uh, it sure seems like they're guys that are are going to be, you know, uh, fighting through adversity and, and, and uh, tiredness in the fourth quarter. There were games last season when when Nick Bolton seemed to be the only defensive player that was that was getting after it, right? Like, and Melvin yeah. Ingram being the same way, like he he put right. he put forth a lot of effort, and that's why even if the stats weren't there, even if the sacks weren't there for Ingram, part of the impact that he made was just his motor and, and his relentless nature. And you know, I, I put those two guys together on purpose because they they won a football game basically uh, with late game effort. With Ingram getting through, forcing a fumble, Bolton being there to pick it up and take it the distance. Uh, you know, I also think about the Rams winning the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. And I remember watching that game, and it it brought back memories of 2019 for, for the Chiefs because that Rams team got a lead, you know, uh, or, or, you know, had a chance to win the Super Bowl. And what they needed was a couple of guys to make a play to close it out, to to finish the game, you know. And when the Chiefs had that, when they had Frank Clark and they had Chris Jones playing at, the, at their peak, there was uh, – you had the closer, the shark, you know, the blood's in the water, you know. There, yep. How many games ended in that Super Bowl run on a defensive play, on a, on a defensive player making a play down, down the stretch? This last year, I felt like that was lacking, and 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 there was there was not a lot of hope that as offenses, you know, as it became a shootout in that Buffalo game, for example, I had no hope that the Chiefs were going to stop Buffalo on any of those drives in the second half, uh, or if they got the ball in overtime. Bengals game the same way, when you just don't have anybody on the on the defensive side of the ball that you think has that relentless nature that has that over my dead body philosophy. Um, again, call it effort, call it toughness, call it clutch ability, call it, you know, uh, killer instinct, whatever you want right. to call it. I think you need that on your defense. And I think that was lacking. I think they purposefully went after guys who they feel like have that, have that in them on defense and on offense. Well, you mentioned 2019. You mentioned those those defensive plays, right? Well, it was Frank Clark closing that out. You mentioned the Shark, and it was actually every game, right? He sacked Deshaun Watson in that game. He sacked Ryan Tannehill in that game. And then the Super Bowl, they came through in the fourth quarter. 
Well, now he's the guy that we're kind of maybe having some questions about in that in terms of that effort. And so that gets us into our next question uh, from Aim Down Sites at Aim Down Sites on Twitter. Who do you think will have a bigger impact this year? Is it going to be Frank Clark or George Karloftis, who a guy that the first question Jake didn't mention in terms of the aggressive, physically dominant style of play, which, you know, maybe Karloftis wasn't physically dominant maybe in college, although his, his freshman year, he absolutely looked like it. Um, but in terms of that relentlessness, we just you were just talking about. I mean, Karloftis fits that to a T. I would I would say that for sure. So when we look at Karloftis versus Clark, when you talk about how much how much does that effort maybe factor into how big of an impact they make on the team this year, and impact's the important word here, right? We're not talking about who's going to play more or who's just going to, you know, and, and maybe the bigger big, better stats, which you know stats obviously are are uh, you know impactful as well. But when you're talking about just impact on success on a team winning, I don't know, man. This is actually a tougher question on the surface, Dag. So I'm going to throw it back to you. What are your first thoughts when you look at this? Yeah, my first thought is that it, it shouldn't be a tough question. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've got Frank Clark on your roster. You made a big trade for him. He's a, he's a highly thought of, highly paid veteran that has shown the ability to get double-digit sacks in the NFL. Um, and then on the other hand, you got George Karloftis, who – Again, I'm kind of the poster child for this opinion about Carlottis not being an impact player because of what I saw of him last season in college. He is a very physical player, very strong player, but didn't have the bend or the explosion that you would like to see out of your edge player. So on the surface, 2021 Carlottis versus Frank Clark uh, and what Frank Clark should be at this point in his career. This should not be a close question. You can't expect a lot from rookies. Rookie pass rushers, you know, generally four to six sacks should be the expe uh, expectation. I think I've been saying all along that Karloftis, we should keep our expectations at that four to six sack level indefinitely uh, until proven otherwise because he just doesn't have the look of a dynamic pass rusher. Now, you mentioned 2019. This has come up a lot over the last few weeks. And this is something that I, I noticed right away in the, in the film that I watched. 2019 Karloftis was faster, was more explosive, was more active. Uh, you talk about the relentless nature, the playing with your hair on fire. That was 2019 Karloftis. 2021 Karloftis was a little bit more under control, uh, a little bit more stout, uh, but appeared to be blocked a little bit easier than 2019 Karloftis. Now, George has talked about how he, in the pre-draft process, lost some weight. Uh, he's tried to, to regain some of that quickness, and early off-season returns would indicate that he's that that's been successful. That that yeah. he's been, you know, he's looked really good in practice and in off-season activities. So there's reason for optimism on Karloftis. This shouldn't be close. It should be Frank Clark, uh, but it's 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 a lot closer than it should be. Well, I'm going to go ahead and answer because I really think it's Karloftis. Um, I, I, I think he could have in terms of uh, plays, in terms of, you know, big time, you know, just moments, uh, tackles for losses, uh, sacks even um, in terms of impactful. And, and I'll get into some stats on Clark last year because I think this kind of plays into, you know, I think Clark just, you know, he's gotten to a point where and, and you know, we could always see a bounce back. Right. And, and it's a contra contract year really for him. He's still under contract next year but it's a lot easier for the Chiefs to get out of it this time. It has not been in previous years, and he knows that. You know, he's smart enough to understand that. 
So he's comfortable, right? Well, he's not going to be as comfortable this year. And you could say this was a down year, but this is this is telling his stats last year. You know, only getting four and a half sacks through the entire season. That includes the postseason. That's 20 games and only four and a half sacks. Although, I, excuse me, he did play 17 games. I, I need to correct myself there. He only played 17 total because he missed the first three of the four um, of the season. Four tackles for losses that entire period as well. I feel like Carl Loftus could get more than that just on effort alone. Um, zero batted passes. Now, this is that's one where you kind of maybe don't think about it very much. But batted passes is an effort thing, is it not? Batted passes is you getting your eyes on the quarterback and do you know and and jumping up and getting your hands on the ball. You know, it's very easy for a defensive end to get see that ball go right over his head and just be like, hey, well, I was getting blocked. No, I can't do anything about that, right? Um, I think that is telling that he had no batted passes throughout the entire year either. He had two forced fumbles, but you gotta set you gotta remember one of those was against Dallas. And if you remember that play, it was weird. I think the snap, I can't remember what happened, but like the offensive line just didn't get off the ball on a third down. And Clark just had an easy path to the blind side of Prescott for a fault for a forced fumble. So it is it is a little telling to me. Um and 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 I and one more before I throw it back to you, Stags, stats wise. It, you look at how many snaps he played on the team. He played more than any defensive lineman once he started playing after that first three or four when he was missing through for injury of the season. He started, He played as much as any defensive lineman. But look at his tackle totals. PFF had him at only 19 tackles in 17 games. 19 tackles. Jaron Reed, who actually played the most snaps of any defensive lineman in total, which I found very surprising um, last year, he had 33 tackles. Um, Nadi had 30 tackles. Melvin Ingram had 21 tackles as a chief and he only played half the season with the chiefs. Um, it just, it, it, it's starting to, you know, and I've always been a guy that defends Clark a, a bit, but you know, it does seem to me that, that Clark might be more one of those guys that just eats snaps and just plays really fundamentally sound football, which we kind of already knew, but it, it's taken to an extreme at this point. And that's not impactful, right? That, 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 that is good. That's solid. That's not for that money, but in terms of impact, in terms of positively impacting what's happening on the field, you know, by a big play or whatever, it does seem like Carl Loftus's motor, you know, being the third guy in the pass rush, right? You know, kind of being the complimentary role rather than being, you know, the starting guy. I think that'll help Carl Loftus kind of be opened up for more plays too. So I guess that's my main point is that in terms of impact, you know, Clark may be the more sound player right now and just may, you know, eat up snaps and maybe just be a more consistent player probably. But Karloftis is probably going to be a, a more volatile player, and that's going to lead to maybe some more bigger plays than Clark gets. Yeah, I mean, it, the question in my head that I, I haven't got a good answer to is, was last year a fluke for Frank Clark? Was this a, a yeah. down year that he could bounce back from? And you can look at players across this roster and say, are they going to be better in 2022 than they were in 2021? And a lot of them is pretty obvious. I think Juju Smith-Schuster – it's pretty obvious he's going to be better this year than he was last year in Pittsburgh. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire, it's very obvious to me based on what I've seen from him when on the field that barring some other unforeseen injuries going forward, he's going to have a better, more impactful season this year than he had last year. And frankly, he was better last year than people give him credit for. You can go up and down the roster and, and, and play this game of, Who's going to be better this year than they were last year? Who's maybe on the on the downside slide of their career? Clark may be one of the only guys on the roster 
that's trending downward and in in the grand scheme of things in their career unless there's a bounce back year to be had but i can't for the life of me come up with good logical reasons based on facts that would say clark's gonna bounce back this season i i would love to make that case i'm not sure i can do it and real and we'll move on in a second but i do want to just ask you kind of um do we think that the only reason he's on the team is because they, they can't do anything about it, right? They can't cut him. They can't trade him because of the contract. We saw the trend this year of them, you know, wanting to go young. Kind of, you're right. I, you're, everyone's kind of on that upward trajectory. Even the signings, right? Justin Reed, you know, they're young signings. Do they, they do you think they wanted to kind of make that complete culture shift, but they just had no choice but to make it work with Clark because he's, you know, he's locked in here anyway, right? Yeah, I, I think it was definitely an exception. It was it was obviously a, you know, the difference between keeping him and cutting him came down to less than $2 million, and there was no replacement-level player that they could get for that price um, it, to, to take up those snaps that he takes up. So if you get a guy who, you know, even if he's a block eater, even if you have, you know, Tyson Jackson and – you know the uh, uh, the the old two gappers of the past that that never made impact plays, but played a lot of snaps, yeah, took up a lot of blocks, and were part of a good defense. They're worth more than two million bucks, which is yeah. the difference in keeping exactly. Frank and letting him go. So, to me, keeping him was a no brainer because there was just, like you said, no no better option for that. I don't know that keeping him was a ringing endorsement. And if you listen to Andy Reid talk about him, he said, we sat down and talked about the fact that he needs to be better this year than he was last year, that last year was not his best year. He needs to be better this year, and he knows that. That's about as as, as blunt and as you know close to calling somebody out and, and challenging somebody as you're going to hear from this chief staff talking about Frank Clark, a veteran, somebody that they've relied on, somebody that they thought was going to be a star, that they thought was a defensive player of the year candidate when they traded for him. That's who they thought they were getting. Fast forward a couple of years, and now they're saying he needs to be better than he was last year if he wants any chance to stick around. Yeah. You know, that's obviously not a good trajectory for his career. So the only case you can make is to say, like you said, it's basically a contract year this year. He's going to be he's going to have some pressure on him to perform, um, but Carlotta's might actually take some pressure off of him uh, when it comes to blockers and attention. But you know, it is uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I wouldn't bank on or, or bet on Frank Clark being a huge impact player. It does feel like the Chiefs are betting on him because there's not a lot of other bodies in that room. Uh, speaking of that, Steve Gray asked the question, Whew. would signing Alex Okafor a week before camp instead of just keeping the room as is make you feel better or worse about the defensive end position group? What a professional transition, and that is that is what I'm talking about, Stags. Uh, yeah, shout out Steve Gray, another another constant question asker. Um, you know, this is, this is the funny one that I keep thinking about. Uh, this defensive end room, has five guys in it, and that's why how many I project them to keep. And it's just kind of weird to me that they don't have any like fat to trim off 
the position group, right? Like you always have guys that you go into training camp with kind of knowing they're not going to make the team, but just to have bodies. And maybe that just, maybe they're just getting those young guys reps, which actually is probably, you know, not the worst idea. Just work, work them, you know, Kando, Herring, um, Dana as well, obviously with Karloftis being in there too. And so I would not be surprised if they bring somebody in. Um, Okafor is not just a body. I mean, he is, I guess, uh, you know, especially if he's just a free agent, but this is where the question gets weird to me. Cause yeah, I, if they do bring him in, you know, I, I, I do think it may speak to look, we, we need someone to eat up snaps in the regular season because these young guys aren't ready for it. Right. And so I don't really like that thought, but they just need more guys. So maybe it's just a case of, Hey, let's just bring in a veteran for training camp, pay him a little bit. You know, he's going to teach the young guys a little bit while, while they're learning the system and then he'll be cut before the regular season. So it, it is kind of weird. I, I wouldn't think too much of it. Seth. Yeah, it might speak more, depending on the timing of a signing like this, if it were after training camp and you right. just saw a long audition from Kando, from Herring, yeah. and then they went out and signed Alex Okafor, that would be a negative for me. That would be saying, we got a good look at the young guys and we didn't like what we saw. Uh, we need somebody to come in and, and, and start and, and be there. Um Signing him before camp, I, I'm not sure what it does for you. I'm not sure if there's any reason to have an Alex Okafor in, in camp with you. If you just need camp bodies, there's other guys on the street with big upside that you could you could bring in just to see if they've got anything. And I'm, I'm really surprised at what they've done with the t- defensive line room, which is basically nothing. When was the last time they had a need that we could basically universally agree was the biggest need on the team. And not only did they not throw huge investments in it, yes, they used a first-round pick to replace somebody who left, but they didn't throw a bunch of bodies at it either. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've got a room, like you said, that's that's not, it's not top-heavy. It's not like a couple of stars and a bunch of backups. Right. But it's also not deep. There, there's, there's not a lot of bodies there. Uh, you know, in case somebody doesn't pan out or in case somebody gets hurt. It's really odd to see a position that lacks star star qualities and lacks depth and lacks numbers at this point in the offseason. I, I, I feel like they're going to bring somebody in at some point in time. I hope that they already have a good plan in place for that because it's really hard to see what that plan is. Yeah, no, I, I like your point on when's the last time they didn't fill that position. Cause I think you look back in Veach's career, look at, you know, right after, you know, when they needed Sammy Watkins, you know, they, we all kind of knew they needed another wide receiver besides Tariq, right? Um, when they switched over the defense from Sutton, you know, we all knew they needed a new defense. So they completely shifted the defense. When we knew they needed an offensive line, the only time we haven't seen it is when they won the Super Bowl. And like, it's one of those things where you don't really, they didn't just, they just didn't change up the team because it was the run it back to her. So it, it is, it is a good point. And, and, it, and you heard Veach talk about it. He wanted to, he kind of wanted to address DNs. He talked about it openly before even anything started. And so it makes you think the Tyreek stuff messed some stuff up. But yeah, it is odd. It is odd. I'm, I'm going to keep making this joke until it sticks. But Brett Veach <laughs> said, I've got a lot of work to do on the defensive line. He didn't say, I want to make the defensive line better. He just said he had work to do. Work could have been restructure Frank Clark, re-sign Derek Nottie, and then uh, go to the draft. I mean, that's work. 
it's not better necessarily, but uh, you know the way that they've it is strange how they've addressed the position or not addressed the position. I wouldn't be surprised to see them in nor in a normal season have two or three viable veterans that are out there on the street right now in camp and and let let the numbers figure themselves out as they go. But you're right. They're going to need some camp bodies, and then they're they're probably going to need need some snaps in the regular season. So uh, I'm not sure Okafor is the answer to that. I really hope it's it's not uh, because if he's the answer, that's that's the wrong question, right? But it's there's it'll be really interesting to see who they bring in, when they bring them in, and what that means for what they've seen out of the young players on this roster. Because at this point, the only really exciting answer that the chief staff could give us is that we've seen the youth and they're phenomenal. You know, we've seen these guys and we believe that they can play significant snaps, be impact players starting this year. Malik Herring is going to rotate with uh, Joshua Kando and and they're going to be, you know, splitting. You know, it's going to be 10 sacks between the, the two of those guys. Like we've, we feel like they're impact players right now. That would be great. I don't feel like it's likely at all, but that's the only really positive answer they can get right now, unless they've got a Robert Quinn trade in the in the bank that they haven't talked about. Always possible, and uh, I know it's not an edge, but me and Jay Binkley talked about it on Six Ten the other day. But you know, the Nadama Kinsu, kind of a tough name to say. Nadama Kinsu is out there, and uh, you know that he's just another defensive lineman to add to the group. I know he's more of a defensive tackle, but you know, you never know. He could add something. Um, I do want to get into Pat Matrick Mahomes' question, though, because I think this is a really good question. At not a Chiefs fan, which I still don't get. Is he a Chiefs fan or not? Is that a joke? I don't get it. I I, I still don't. Um, shout out you, though. You ask a lot of questions. Let us know. I know. Seriously. Uh, he's got to be a Chiefs fan. It would make no sense, right? It wouldn't make sense for him to not be a Chiefs fan. Um, good dedication uh, to listen to a podcast that you don't like the team of. Anyway. Which rookie will make the biggest impact in year two or three? So not this year necessarily, but down the road more. What was one of the names you came up with uh, when you heard this question? Well, I think the obvious answer historically for an Andy Reid offense is is the wide receiver. And so Sky Moore being a guy who comes in with actually at this point, I think pretty low expectations. They've talked a lot about how they rebuilt this wide receiver room. And when they have that conversation, it's not a lot about Sky Moore. You've talked a lot about MVS. You've talked some about Juju. you talked about McCole Hardman and whatever role he's in. And now we're starting to talk about all the long shots on the roster, the Justin Watsons, the the, the Rosses, the, the Josh Gordons. I mean, there are a lot of uh, different flavors of receiver on this offense, and it's very easily – you could very easily see a case where Sky Moore is buried on the depth chart this year, that he is the fourth or fifth wide receiver on this roster and doesn't see a lot of action and doesn't get a lot of stats. But a lot of those guys are on one-year contracts. And so uh, he could easily be a guy who gets overlooked this year but gets comfortable with the offense, gets settled into his role, and some other guys depart and he just – moves right up uh he skyrockets up the depth chart <laughs> in, in year two or year three that was that was that was good that was another way to do the pun everyone does the sky's the limit pun that's that's <laughs> that's too cliche at this point 
Uh, we'll get into a little bit more Sky Moore talk later, too. So I, I like that. That's the obvious answer. I think you're right there. Uh, I, I thought Joshua Williams at first, um, but he did say biggest impact. And if I were to bet, I think Brian Cook does make uh, a bigger impact, maybe year two or three. You know, Juan Thornhill is on a contract year. And so, you know, depending on what happens, we could see Brian Cook just naturally become the second safety next year if Thornhill isn't re-signed. And I do think it's going to be hard for him to just crack those two safety lineups this year just because Thornhill does have the experience in Spags' system. And I and I do think that's just, you know, Justin Reed as well. I think it's going to be tough for him to penetrate those two play, playing um, time. He will play in those three safety sets, obviously, that we saw Sorensen play a lot of. Um, but I just think in 2023, and, you know, I, I really, you know, depending on what Juan does this year, I, I just, you know, I, I could see them kind of maybe moving on, to, you know, depending on his impact. If Cook looks like a good guy and they have Reed and Cook, for the next few years, I think he could be a really good player. So I'm excited to see um, him in the future. But yeah, I think this year he might just be a, a pretty limited um, role player in those dime three safety sets, which they play a lot of. So you'll see a good amount of him, but he will be that third safety in my opinion. You know, a, a name we haven't talked about, uh, Leo Chanel might be one that is an impact yeah. player in the future and more so than he is this year, because it might take a while for them to find a role for him. He might be somebody that they feel like they've got to w- work him into the lineup or uh, maybe change their way of thinking a little bit about the linebacker position in order to really utilize a guy like Leo Chanel, you know, getting back to the, the idea where you've got a Sam linebacker that's actually an impact pass rusher. That's something that has been a Steve Spagnolo thing in the past, but not really in Kansas city at all yet. So, you know, if Leo Chanel can be that type of player, it might take them a while to to configure that into into the defense or you know really make it a part of the defense. So um, he's one that you know I I'm excited to see what he can do, but I'm not 100 percent convinced that they know how to use him quite yet. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's a good point. Um, should we squeeze one more question in before we go to break? Absolutely. And, and let's go, Allie Lawrence three on Twitter. And she she has she has a good revenge question. I, I said Jared had a revenge article um out, so revenge game opportunities. Go check that out on the site. But she says, which chip on the shoulder game do you think would be the best to watch? Chiefs versus Bengals, Chiefs versus Bucks, or Chiefs versus Dolphins, which is a hypothetical because that actually doesn't happen this year. I think next year um we'll see them. But um Stags thinking revenge, thinking chip on the shoulder. Which game is in terms of, I guess, just like fun to watch, right? I think this is what she's getting at. Um, which game likes or do you like the most? Yeah, for this year, it's the Bengals. I mean, to have a team as good as the Chiefs have been over the last few years lose to the same team twice in one season uh, is is nearly unheard of. And for that team to have ended their Super Bowl hopes last year, nearly ended their playoff hopes, and or at least took them out of the first seed, uh, with the first time they beat them, and then again with that miserable second-half performance uh, knocked them out of the Super Bowl run this past season, you know, they should want to absolutely demolish the Bengals if they get a chance uh, this season. And and I think that's not necessarily a rivalry game, but one where they should be angry. And, and everything was on the table for them, and the Bengals pulled it off of the table uh, or they did it to themselves and, and you know, the way that they played. But, yeah, Chiefs Bengals should be the should be the answer to that. Okay, so I just – I looked at the Chiefs schedule because I was curious about this, 
and last last year's schedule. And this is uh, this is just one of those random kind of f- fun stats things. But only one team beat the Chiefs in the months of November, December, and January last year, and it was the Bengals. They beat every <laughs> other team they played in November, December, and January last year. The only team that topped them was the Bengals. That's pretty crazy. Their that last loss, their last loss besides the Bengals was October, October twenty fourth. That's that's wild. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. That, that that's a pretty obvious one. I will say when that Chiefs Dolphins matchup happens, I want to see the handshake handshakes at midfield. I want to see how much uh, you know. It, it'll it'll look all good, I'm sure. But uh, maybe there'll just be a peace sign from a distance there. Um, <laughs> you you could also you could make the case for Chiefs Bucks here to to finally forcibly take the torch out of Tom Brady's hand. Uh, it, it should have happened already. Uh, you, you, it's almost an afterthought at this point, but uh, that that you can make a case for that one. Real quick, just to wrap up the questions that we have here, there's one from Press Do Your Job and one from Nick uh, on Twitter. Both are asking about Noah Gray, somebody who we haven't heard a lot about. Uh, can he take the next step uh, and, and give Kelsey some rest, or can he take over the H-back role and have him cut Michael Burton and no longer carry a fullback? I feel like these are questions we ask ourselves every single season. Can they finally stop using a fullback? Finally, let somebody have a multiple uh, position role there. Uh, you know, are we in agreement here that that's just not going to happen this year? First of all, that they're going to keep the fullback and that their tight ends are going to be purely tight ends. You know, I, I think you're right. Just because, yeah, you're, I think it's one something we all kind of like to tell ourselves. Oh, this is a way we could be smarter than the coach or this team is. Yeah, cut the fullback so we can, you know, you can save us a, a roster spot because this is a good way to have six receivers, four running backs, four tight ends, and not have the fullback um, squeeze all those positions in there because there's a lot of players at each position. But I I agree with you, Stags. It's it's they love their fullbacks, and I I, I just have a hard time seeing them um, get away from it. Burton was a really good special teamer last year. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. If you want a tight end to get excited about in this room that's not named Travis Kelsey, I think it's Jody Fortson or Joe yep. Fortson, whatever he's going by these days. Yeah, I don't know actually. I, I'd like to get that confirmation because I don't <laughs> know if it's Jody or Joe, but yeah, go ahead. But. It, He's the guy that both from a receiving standpoint and a blocking standpoint was uh, extremely impressive in short uh, time that he was able to be on the field last season. And so if you're looking for somebody to take snaps away from Blake Bell, to to round out the tight end group, to be a, a dynamic threat in the red zone, look at Fordson. Don't look at Gray right now. I'm not sure what Noah Gray brings to this team that those other guys don't at this point. Uh, he might just be deaf at this point. Yeah, I think Noah Gray's got a lot to prove this year. He, he They gave him the ball a lot more last year down the stretch. He started to play a little more. But again, Fortson wasn't on the team because of the injury. Um, yeah, I agree with you, man. I think Fortson, he can do, you know, he talks about Kelsey, giving Kelsey a rest. I actually think Fortson may be able to do some of the stuff they like to do with Kelsey even more than what Gray can. Um, so yeah, I, and Blake Bell's still on the team. I don't know, man. Gray might be one of those guys you might look out for. I know he's a draft pick, so the cut, you know, cutting might not, you know, because there's the money, the contract. But I don't know, man. You may kind of, he might be a roster bubble kind of guy more than we like to admit, maybe. Well, before we go to break, we always have a would you rather. And it's usually Ron coming up with something clever for me to to answer. But after the break to say, would you rather. So I'm just going to throw it back to Ron this week uh, with a quick would you rather. From this, from the rank, the player rankings that I'm looking at, um, who would you rather see 
in the top 10 of Chiefs by the end of the season. So when we're ranking our, our team one through 53 and beyond, um, we'll reveal our top 10 in this series of articles that we're working on here. But who would you rather work their way up into the top 10 this season? Would you rather it be Juju Smith-Schuster or McCole Hardman? Ooh, spicy. With that, let's take a break, uh, pay some bills. We'll come back with Ron's answer to the would you rather, plus some of the segments that you've come to know and love, like Ramblin' Ron. We'll talk a little bit about market movers, and we'll get into some X's and O's on offense with Ron's remix segment. So stick with us. A lot more to come on Out of Structure. We'll be right back with you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for sticking with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We're back with Ron's answer to my would you rather. Would you rather Juju or McColl be a top 10 player on this team by the end of the of 2022? I mean, I don't think it's a question, man. I think you got to have McColl or you'd want to have McColl if, you, if you're preferring which one. Just because if he does become that impactful of a player, it means he, he unlocked what we all kind of hoped he always would be. That speed is something that you just can't replicate. I do think Juju has a little bit more of a replicable skill set, right? Just you can find guys that maybe do a little bit of what he does. Um, it's kind of more, uh, it's more popular to be that bigger power slot type of guy that can still um, do a lot of the quick stuff too. If McColl turns it on though and becomes that really impactful player, man, that speed is something you cannot replace. That's why I got to go McColl. Well, part of the reason I asked this question is because both are essentially in contract seasons this year. Right. Who do you think would be easier to re-sign in this scenario that they became an impactful player? We've talked a lot about most people agree that that McCole Hardman is not re-signing with this team. If he has a great year, he's going to price himself out. If he has a bad year, they have no reason to bring him back. Um, I don't know that I totally agree with that. I think there's a lot of reasons why Andy Reid and, and company actually really like what McCole brings and would like to bring him back. 
Juju they've been trying to get for two years. You know, I hope that it's not just a one year and done thing with him, but mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see, you know, let's, let's give him a thousand yard season, you know, with five, six touchdowns uh, for each of these guys. Do you think they could re-sign either one of them in that scenario? Man, that is that is a good point, man. I mean, I I don't think both are happening, right? I mean, you, you can't think no, that. No, absolutely not. Exactly. And so you have to say kind of either or. I think just because Juju has been in the league longer and has kind of already had those chances to be signed, I think even if he has a good year, there's only a certain limit he can be signed to, right? Because I think teams have already kind of shown their hand on what they think of him to an extent, to an extent, because he was injured last year. So I think that does play into how he was uh, handled in free agency this year. But McColl, if he has that going off here, you know, it's so easy to sell. Hey, look, finally Tyreek's gone. He just had to step up. And now he's the guy that you all thought he was supposed to be. It's so easy to sell that if you're the agent, right? Like, hey, look, he was just behind Tyreek the first three years. Now you're seeing what he looks like without a guy next to him. This is who he is. So, yeah, it's McColl would, is probably going to get a ton of money if he has a really good year, I would imagine. Who's the bigger name in the league right now? I think Chiefs fans have, have really – we've talked about before how we think that he McColl is almost underrated at this point amongst Chiefs fans where te- fans of other teams see him and say, man, that's a dynamic player right, who right. needs a chance to pop. Um, Juju is a guy who was hot for a while and kind of uh, sort of a forgotten guy in the, in the league, at least in my sense. I'm not sure which one has a better reputation right now. The reputation thing, it's interesting because I think Juju is a, is a very well-known name because he puts himself out there and is a social media personality. But at the same time, you know, when you talk about reputation, I think a lot of people get this negative connotation with him because of that stuff, um, because of dancing on the logo before a game. And even though it might be silly, I, I do think, you know, I, I that plays into it. And just the fact that we haven't seen him be as very good since he was with Antonio Brown and Pittsburgh's offense is really good. But that also plays into how he could explode here because he finally plays with a team that has an actual quarterback and not a how uh, uh, what podcast always calls him a water buffalo. But <laughs> someone someone kept calling him a water. I think it was P- shout out PFF forecast. I, I think that's who it is. That, but. That's hilarious. I I, just, I like to go with his standby. Uh, the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that's always a good a good way to put it. Well, tell you what. Speaking of wide receivers, Ron's now famous segment. Uh, the remix talking about Andy Reid's offense, all different wrinkles, all X's and O's. Let's get into that segment now. Let's talk a little bit about the piece that you have out on, on Arrowhead Pride this week, uh, talking about wide receivers in, in a lot of ways. So let's, let, I'll let you go ahead and introduce that and, and give us sort of the, the, the footnotes or the cliff notes on your, uh, on your remix piece this week. Remix. Read Remix. Anyways, with that time, yours. Absolutely, yeah. Check out, it's a weekly piece for the summer. I'm always talking about the offense. And this week, I want to talk about the new receivers, the receivers we have not seen in this offense yet. And I went one by one, MVS, Juju, and Sky Moore. And the thing I, I wanted to point out was just some 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 common play concepts the Chiefs use um, and, and how these guys fit into them. So for MVS specifically, you know, he's a speed guy. He's a guy that had that 4-3-7 speed, right? You lose Tyreek. That was something the Chiefs always excelled with was having those two speed guys and kind of being able to interchange them between Tyreek and McColl on certain pass combinations. And the drive pass concept, 
is, is one that uses speed a lot and is one that the Chiefs love to use. So it's basically two inter or two middle of the field routes, one a shallow crosser, one an intermediate crosser. Kelsey is usually the intermediate crosser, right? Well, that shallow crosser needs to be someone fast. And so that's where it's an easy route for someone like McColl or Tyreek to run. Um, you know, you're just you're just catching the ball very quickly and and turning upfield, right? Getting into open space. The other fast guy in that formation would be running a deep pattern to kind of open up that space, right? Take the safeties deep, open up that space. And so McColl and Tyreek were always those two guys interchangeably. Now you have MVS with McColl doing it. And I do think those that deep pattern, that deep post of that play, the example I put on Twitter, and, and Stags, you noticed this too, is, is McColl's running that deep post trying to clear out. Well, he can't get off the, the coverage. And it actually does draw a flag, but he's not physical enough to get off the coverage. I think this is where MVS can even increase that potential because he is going to be able to get off press. He's going to be able to, to work through physical coverage a lot better. And I, I and he's also very fast, so I do think he could play that shallow crosser too, but also be a good uh, good on the post. So all that to say, the speed that MVS brings is still going to be able to be utilized in some of the the core stuff Andy Reid uses, and it honestly in some of that deep stuff playing off physical coverage, it could be even better than what we saw last year. And really, it's about letting these receivers do what they do best. Mm-hmm. And in that particular formation, that particular play that you showed, if MVS has taken McColl's spot. McColl has taken Tyreek's spot in, exactly. in that formation, right? So now McColl does what we've seen McColl do, take that short pass in stride, turn it upfield, and go. And MVS is playing the clear-out role, and he's able to beat the press coverage and, and to get deep, draw some attention, open up the spacing. So I do think that there's a real opportunity there for McColl to do more of that specific slice of Tyreek Hill's job description that that he is best at doing. And in other scenarios, you're going to have MVS doing a slice of Tyreek Hill's work, but doing it in a different way. On that particular play and that particular uh, route combination, like I said, though, you can see, you can really easily see MVS being the clear out guy, McColl being the shallow route there. And, and you've got an opportunity for that, for that route concept to, to be, like you said, even more effective. Yeah, exactly. And, and the other part of this too, the other part of my article was, was Juju Smith-Schuster, how he can fit in, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a similar thing where it, it's just going to be an improvement over, over. So I can, I compared Juju Smith-Schuster specifically to Byron Pringle's role last year, just because I do think they're, they're similar style players in terms of those bigger built receivers. Juju, in my opinion, is a much better receiver. And one way you can see that is is the Chiefs Hank concept. So H A N K Hank. It's a uh, it's a traditional West Coast uh, concept. It's very simple. It's it's a lot of the receivers running deep curls, right? So not not uh, hitch routes five to seven yards, uh, more closer to eight to ten yards, more intermediate curls. And basically, it, it's best against zone coverage because uh, you're just trying to find uh, throwing windows for the quarterback to find you. And I do think one thing that. I think Pringle and Robinson both struggled that last year was just preciseness of routes running exactly where they needed to be hitting their landmarks. And one specific play I tweeted out on this Hank concept, Pringle runs that deep curl on a third down. Well, he runs it short of the sticks. So he catches it short of the sticks and it's like a third and eight, third of 10. You don't run that route to a certain yardage. You run that route to where it needs to go. Um, and it's past the sticks. And so Pringle just got lucky, uh, broke a, you know, broke a tackle and, and got the first down anyway. But I really do think Juju 
will be a lot more precise and just better hands. Byron Pringle dropped a lot of passes last year. We talk about, you know, maybe Tyreek having some some hand, some bad hands at times. But uh, so did Byron Pringle. And Juju Smith-Schuster has a career drop rate, I, I believe, roughly 5%. Byron Pringle's last year was either 12%, 10 to 12%. Um, so, yeah, all that to say, in those tight windows, in those, in those, you know, when you need just a first down and it's a stationary target, I think Juju will be a lot better at fi- being able to get open for Mahomes precisely being where he needs to be, but also securing the pass once it gets to him, right? So I think Juju is much of an improvement on those, uh, you know, tight window throws compared to what Mahomes had last year. Just the fundamentals. I mean, you heard it from the Chiefs front office this offseason. What were they looking for in wide receivers? And they laid it out. We're looking for a guy that can go where he's supposed to be and catch the ball when he gets a chance. I mean, it sounds like, you know, that's like the Wikipedia description of a wide receiver's job, but it's something that's that's uh, not always the case. It's not always a given uh, with Chiefs receivers in the past. They've not always been in the right spot. The spacing hasn't always been perfect, uh, and and there's been a lot more drops than there should be. This team has also been really derailed by those drops in in really profound ways. It's it seems deflating uh, to to drives and and to even to morale. Uh, when they've had receivers that drop the ball a lot. So they looked at guys like Juju that are going to come in, get to where they're supposed to be, catch the ball, you know, keep spacing, uh, keep this offense moving. Well, yeah, and and the last one was Sky Moore, and he fits into exactly what you're talking about in terms of catching the ball. Um, that was something that Mike Borgonzi, um, he, he specifically uh, shouted out when he was asked about Sky Moore after the draft pick, um, was talking about how he can catch the ball. He has huge hands. That was one of the pre-draft things, right? Sky Moore has these huge hands. And you even mentioned um, before we started that there was a Chiefs. I actually didn't see it, but on social media, I guess he had a nice little catch on, you know, he, he kind of had to go behind him, right? And he secured the pass pretty cleanly. Um, you know, that means something. And the, the thing that I see with Sky Moore, because I do think he's going to have a limited role this year, because I you mentioned before, he's going to be the fourth receiver, at least on the depth chart, unless you know, one of these guys that we've already talked about really disappoints. And so I think the way he can be used in a limited role is those easy patterns, these quick, you know, quick slants, uh, quick bubble screens, you know, off these RPOs, because he is a guy that can, that has good footwork at the line of scrimmage, right? He's a guy that can break a corner off real quick. Um, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, on an off ball, I think he can beat press. Um, although he did it at a low level, but if he's off the ball, you give him those slant opportunities off of RPOs, you give him those bubbles, you give him, just those those easy routes that he can just you know catch the ball in, in a little bit of space, make a cut, and and get some extra yards. And I really think that's an easy way to get any rookie the ball, right? Those simple routes. He doesn't have to he doesn't have to learn anything complex right now. Just get him the ball in his hands because that's what he does best anyway. And on those on those quick passes, on on getting the ball in his hands quick, you know, shaking off a dude at the line of scrimmage. So that's where I think Sky Moore would make sense to kind of be in that limited role, but he could be really effective in that limited role. Yeah, he's a decisive runner, and and I think that yeah. indecision really costs a lot of wide receivers. You see, Demarcus Robinson can't decide to run backwards or forwards. You see, it in, and even in Tyree Hill, who trusts his speed and his quickness so much that a lot of times his first move isn't forward; <laughs> it's it's sideways. It is, uh, or he'll just come to a dead stop, and and you know that he can recover from that. Most receivers can't, but you have to wonder how many more opportunities would Tyreek Hill have taken to the house had he made a habit of 
when you catch the ball, plant that foot and go, turn up field and go. And I think Sky Moore does that. Sky Moore can take that, take the slant route, catch it in stride, and and get up field and and make some big yards after the catch. He may not be the fastest guy on the field, but that the precision in his routes and the decisiveness of his cuts can help him have separation before and after getting the ball in his hands. Yeah, I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but I believe he has a running back history. I believe he was a running back, um, at least in high school at some point. And I do think there is something to that, you know, that running back kind of one cut and and just hit something hard, right, rather than dancing around it. Chiefs had a lot of guys dancing around, especially D-Rob. Shout out (laughs) D-Rob. Now on the Raiders, so we have to hate him, right? So we, we can officially hate him. If DeMarcus um, Robinson did a, had a dance that it was his signature dance, would it be the moonwalk? <laughs> yeah, it, yes, <laughs> it would. No question. Home market, bear market, you name the market, I'm there. Black market? Which market? Stock market? Market movers. All right, Sags, you got market movers. Though. I, want, I want you to get into market movers. Uh, that was it for the read remix. Appreciate everyone um, wanting to kind of dig into the X and O's. I love getting into it, but... Uh, get into market movers man yeah we're gonna do x's and o's every week from here on out i'm i i think that's a that's an enjoyable thing to talk about and something that that we really need to dig into this offseason because we hope that this offense is different than what we've seen in the past but there's some tendencies some specific roles that they're gonna have to fill uh, and so i'm excited to see what else you have in store for us this summer on the remix when it comes to market movers it's really, again, this time of year where we've taken this steady drip of information that came out of OTAs, out of mandatory minicamp. You know, the, the media only gets a very limited view of what's right. going on. So we're all working off of the same tidbits of information. We're trying to piece together who's trending in the right direction and who's not. So for the bull section, for the for those players that I, I see trending upwards, one of them was a surprise to me. It's Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon's a guy who last season came in with a lot of hope as somebody who could resurrect their career in Kansas City with a great quarterback and a great offensive mind and Andy Reid that could put him to work. He saw a lot of snaps but did very little with them last year to the point where he was a game day inactive down the stretch. To my surprise, they re-signed him to a futures deal and he's back in camp with the team. But all of a sudden, it looks like he's more comfortable. He's understanding the offense. He's able to play faster, think less. He was a guy that I noticed multiple times last season, whether he ran the wrong route or he ran the wrong spacing or the the wrong timing, always seemed to find himself in the wrong position, too close to other receivers, something, something just not quite in sync with the way he was with this offense last season. If that part's been corrected and he is, he is back to, at least the the player that we thought he could have been last season. It's not out of the question that Josh Gordon makes this roster. I'm not banking on it, but he's certainly done everything right this offseason from what we can tell, and he's starting to create a little bit of buzz going into St. Joe. Yeah, I think it is easy to forget that he didn't play football like at all for like, what, three years or something, or two, I think two years, I guess, two full years um, before last year he joined the team. Um yeah, I was in middle school the last time Josh Gordon had a thousand yard <laughs> season. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just I I think you're right. I think there's a lot of you can kind of see that, you know, reporters or guys that have had eyes on on 
the practice field have kind of been impressed with what he's been doing. And even, you know, you've heard it from some coaches too. So it is interesting, man, because, you know, he is one of the only guys that were on, was on the team last year. Maybe Mahomes has become more comfortable with him the more he's thrown to him. Um, you know, I, I think we've always talked about how long it takes sometimes for a receiver to get down the offense. Well, he has a head start on all these other receivers that are new to this team just because he was with the program last year. It's interesting, man. It's interesting. I've heard the hype too. So I I'm I'm agree I agree that he's a bowl this year or this week. You know, and we didn't talk about this, but when we had that question earlier about the physicality of and the aggression in this uh, team based on some of their additions, we've made a lot about how the wide receivers are bigger, are more physical, are better run blockers this season um, than the than the wide receiver room as a whole was last year. MVS can run block. He's a big guy. Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously, very good blocker, a very physical wide receiver. Josh Gordon is a monster, and he spent so much of his time on this team last season as a run blocker. It it was almost remarkable in how little he was involved in the passing game and how much he was involved as a run blocker last season as a receiver. So – the physicality of the wide receiver room, you know, may be a little bit overlooked even when it comes to, as we talk about the physicality of the offensive line, about the defense. Uh, Josh Gordon fits that profile of the bigger, stronger, run-blocking receivers, you know, that can win a contested ball. Uh, maybe there is a shift there, and maybe he's part of it as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, a Justin Ross even. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing. I think the natural comparison is Ross right now for most Chiefs fans. But but I think it's pretty obvious that Gordon has the leg up right now. Um, so I, I would I would say, you know, if 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 you're out there and thinking kind of, you know, oh, well, there's Justin Ross. So, you know, Josh Gordon's probably not. I would say the opposite. I think Justin Ross is probably not looking you know too good right now to, to be on the roster just because, he, you know, a guy ahead of him like Josh Gordon is even, you know, barely, um, you know, in the mix. So, yeah, it, I, yeah I, think I, was, Gordon, I think Gordon's got the leg up. I was wondering if you get in there with getting your pun game on here with the leg up, uh, talking about Justin Ross, who's fought through a foot injury. and, and uh, I'm not, some, I'm not that smart, Stacks. I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, anyway, moving on, uh, let's look at the Bears. And these are the guys who are trending in the wrong direction based on what we've heard coming out of camp. And one of them is a guy that I think that this team is counting on, that they invested in more than anybody else at his position in a long time. I'm talking about uh, rookie Trent McDuffie, who the Chiefs traded up in the first round to take, somebody they didn't think that he would be there. And, in fact, you pointed out from the from the uh, videos that the Chiefs released that even when they traded up, they were surprised that he was the guy that was still there. Yeah, um, yeah. Coming into camp, we knew that there was a limitation. We knew that he was an outlier when it comes to first-round corners. Uh, and and I, I wish I could attribute this, but I, I heard a stat saying that he was the he would be the only um, cornerback drafted in the first round with his physical profile, with the, with the length of arms that he has um, in in recent in recent history. So. McDuffie comes in as a shorter corner, um, as a short-armed corner, and somebody who may have some limitations on the field when it comes to going up against bigger wide receivers. This Kansas City team is going to play against those Cincinnati Bengals with the with the huge receivers that they have. 
with uh, the Chargers and their big wide receivers. The Buffalo Bills have monster wide receivers. He's going to have some challenges playing against those bigger receivers. Um, so we knew that coming in. Then he comes in and he's got a little bit of an injury that he's dealing with. Uh, and and the reports coming out of camp was that there was a couple of plays uh, where he got he got pretty soundly beat by receivers in camp, whether it was somebody who got loose or somebody who just went up and got the ball over him. So I don't want to be doom and gloom on McDuffie. I still love the pick. I still love the player. I think he's going to be good. I think we're, we might see the best of him when the pads come on and he can be physical. He can do what he does best. But for now, for this part of the offseason process, he's on the Bears list because of his limitations and the fact that we have yet to see him uh, really be able to overcome those. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for him right away uh, with the, the physical profile like you're mentioning. And and I do think I liked the the uh, the changeup, I guess you could say, uh, in terms of, you know, without going with the long arm guys, maybe let's go for more of a cover guy just for once, just to have that one guy that we can trust in coverage. And it kind of helps us, you know, maybe do some more creative stuff in the back end um, because we know this guy can can cover really well um, rather than just maybe be a, a bigger guy that might get beat a lot more. But that's the thing. These are NFL receivers, man, and it is not easy to – there's so many good receivers today in today's NFL. Just if, you, if you're that corner that kind of has to rely on being more of a playmaker, more instinctual, more intellectual because you don't have that size, I feel like that takes a little bit longer to, to get going in the NFL, right? You're not Sauce Gardner with this, this huge frame that you can just hold up physically already. And, you know, there are some good receivers in this division, man. I mean, you're talking about Mike Williams. You're talking about – um, you know, uh, with in in Denver now, you're talking about Russell Wilson throwing moon balls to Cortland Sutton, and Tim Patrick, you know, uh, Devontae Adams as well with the Raiders. It is going to be a, a tough go for him right away, I think. Um, you know, because I really think he's the type of player that can really be good. Um, I get again, like playing as an intellectual guy, like Tyron Matthew, you know, like he's not the most physically gifted player, but he's just so so instinctual, so um, so much of a playmaker. I think McDuffie can get to that point. But it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard for him to be that right away, and and no one should expect him to be that right away. And if you know corners are just a, kind of a hard position to to get going right away. You see a lot of corners kind of take a few years to to really um, settle in as, in the NFL. Well, the the Chiefs are absolutely counting on him. Yeah, and it is a hundred percent the expectation that he is the full time one hundred percent of the snaps outside boundary corner uh, at this point. I think you could. Put that in in Sharpie. That's his job. He's got to take that and, and run with it. Uh, if you see him not on the field 100% of the snaps, if you see him trying to be penciled into some other role, even if it's slot where he could be a good player, uh, you got to think that there's that it's not a positive development for for him um, if he's anything but a full time, you know, close to shutdown style cornerback. Uh, I will, I will say, though, Spags has been very vocal about not liking rookies to start. He really prefers it not to happen, right? And so, you know, there he does have Sneed and Fenton, two guys that are experienced in his system. You know, there is a chance that in the base defense, maybe Sneed and Fenton are the starting cornerbacks, right? That There is a chance. Now, you don't want that to be the case because he's your first-round pick, and I do get how that could be disappointing. But it may not 
you know, maybe that doesn't come off as he's not doing well more than just that. Look, you know, Spags prefers, you know, hey, Thornhill didn't start over um, Sorensen right away. You know, it, it's one of those things. Right. So um, even though although, you know, Thornhill maybe didn't pan out to be <laughs> anyway, all, all that to say, I, I, I just do think there might be some wiggle room in that to where if he's not completely that starter right away, it might not just be because he's not doing too well. Um, but I think even if he does play a lot, there will be some lumps that we just kind of have to live with because I think that's just kind of the nature of his position. Yep. So again, don't take this as a, a long-term negative. This is more of a short-term uh, yeah. bear prediction. Uh, when it comes to McDuff, uh, I fully expect him to be in the Bulls category uh, during the preseason process uh, as he starts being able to to get more physical and get into some game action. Now, something's seen a lot of game in his career is the, the sleeper of the week that my value pick, and that's Jordan Franks, the tight end. Uh, this is a guy who was a undrafted free agent in 2018, uh, racked up 37 receiving yards with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, and, and no yards. His, his The next time he saw the field was last year with Cleveland, uh, played in one game, didn't, didn't log a statistic. Somebody who was signed in the offseason as a futures contract and a you know, a street free agent that nobody thought anything about. All of a sudden, he turned heads through the offseason program. Jordan Frank, six foot four, two hundred forty pound, uh, you know, twenty six year old tight end, making some noise. And you know, we talked a little bit about tight ends already. We talked about how you know the room is obviously Travis Kelsey plus you know uh, you know some other guys. Uh, could those other guys? include Jordan Franks instead of a, a Blake Bell or a Noah Gray? See, that's the thing. I, I, I think there's a chance. Uh, you know, that's the thing. Uh, Noah Gray is a draft pick. And so you, it's kind of, you don't want to um, cut that too quick, right? So Blake Bell would probably be the more likely candidate to be the cut um, player for a, a, one of these. Because they have so many tight ends that are at that those those future reserve deals. Um, I was wondering which one was going to emerge, and it sounds like, uh, from all accounts, from everyone reporting on the the practices, it has been Frank. So, yeah, I'd say Bell's probably the most likely candidate, but, you know, they really like Bell, too, because he's been around. He's a vet. I don't know. Maybe this is a way Noah Gray's seat gets a little hot because, you know, it, they will have to eat a little bit of money, but it wouldn't be too much. He was a fifth-round pick. Yeah. No, I, I don't think contract would be a concern there. Obviously, you hate to give up on a draft pick. And I'm, I'm not exactly. saying Noah Gray's been bad. Uh, exactly yeah you know it's just a matter of it's a numbers game and if you've got your number one tight end being travis kelsey if you've got jody fortune with a role there as a receiver you know as a dynamic player that they want to get involved who's your other tight end it's got is it a blocker is it blake bell strictly because he's a blocker uh or you know is jordan franks be you know open the door for himself there uh, in, in that room so no guarantees. Uh, a lot can change when the pads come on in St. Joe, but certainly keep your eyes on Jordan Franks as training camp comes into focus. Yeah, no, that tight end position, there's a lot of guys to look at. So it is, you know, it is notable that he's a name that has emerged, but I think it's time for me to ramble on. Do you, you think so, Stags? You think yeah. for me? What better way to close this pot out than to listen <laughs> to Ron ramble? Uh, what's the topic this week? What do you got for us? Yeah, let's ramble on out of here. Um, 
I I'm just gonna go. Yeah, right. I'm just gonna go a little uh, not too long of a ramble because you know I'm not truly upset about anything with this topic, but um, I do just have a, a point I want to make about the Orlando Brown Jr. situation happening right now. The the contract situation. He's obviously on the franchise tag. He is working. He he signed an agent. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago now. So he they have now been in negotiations trying to get a long term deal done. Right. Well, and, you know, I might have Sir to uh, plug this into the pod. Hopefully he can find it. But, uh, you know, there was some audio of Brown. Um, I believe he was with an NFL Network uh, show um, coming out and, and, and kind of, you know, kind of putting himself out there in terms of contract negotiations by saying, look, if you're the Chiefs, it wouldn't be a good year to have a backup left tackle. That's all I got to say about whether this deal is going to get done or not, right? Like, those aren't exact words. I paraphrase a little bit. But, I mean, he did say it wouldn't be a good year to have a backup left tackle. That's exactly what he said. Um, so... I just, I, I think that's, he's right. He's not wrong. And and I want to, you know, I, I do just want to say, uh, Nate Taylor of The Athletic, he's on 610, and he was talking about this. And his response to this was that the Chiefs have the leverage. That the Chiefs have the leverage. And I just didn't agree with that, to be honest with you. I actually completely disagree. Um, I really think Brown has the leverage in this situation. And I think he knows it. And I think he's taking full advantage of it, um, which is, my, might be why this contract hasn't happened yet. And this is where it makes it sticky. Because he's right, man. They can't afford to ha- go into the season without him at left tackle because there's not another good option. You already have right tackle as a question mark, man. The right tackle position is already is already kind of up in the air. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And if you have both your tackle positions kind of questionable, it really negates how good your interior offensive line is to an extent, and pass protection especially. But it, it really does put a lot of pressure on Mahomes, who's already having to deal with a new receiving core, you know, having to kind of get that down. Now, on top of that, he has to worry about two turnstiles at offensive tackle, potentially. That's where I, I really think Brown has the leverage here, and he knows it, where he know, he's saying, hey, Chiefs, like, you need me, because if you don't sign me this long-term deal, you know, I'll sit all year, and then if I am a free agent next year, I know they'll probably franchise tag him again, but if he is a free agent next year, I guarantee you there's going to be an NFL team that's willing to give him to unload the bank just because of his pedigree. He has, he has risen, you know, in terms of production throughout his career. And so all that to say, yeah, I, I think I, I disagree with Nate Taylor. He's a really, you know, he's one of the best chiefs writers out there. And so I really respect his opinion, but I, it just struck me that he said the chiefs have the leverage. I really respect, respect his opinion. And I just completely disagree. Stags. What do you think about this whole situation? It's funny because when that interview happened, the headline said Brown very confident that a deal happens, that that he gets a new contract, uh, you know, before the deadline. So when you read that headline, you think, great, he's saying, I want to be here. It's this is going to be a done deal. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold out. I'm not going to push. You know, just give me a fair deal and I'll sign it. Like that's you. The headline sounded extremely positive. And then you saw this portion of the comments and you're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> He's confident that the Chiefs are going to have to sign him. Right. He's not necessarily confident that he's, uh, you know, that it's a done deal or that it's uh, in, a, in a really positive place. I'm not too worried about it. I, I do think that they will sign him long-term before the deadline. He'll be the left tackle now and, and for the next few years. But I agree with you. I think he's got all the leverage in the world here. There's no way the Chiefs can afford to just let him walk and and roll the dice on whoever the next guy in line is. Right. And, you know, 
when you if you believe the reports out of OTAs and minicamp, Roderick Johnson was your left tackle uh, in the absence of Orlando Brown Jr. Is that a name that you want to to rely on uh, to protect Patrick Mahomes' blind side week one you know, with the with the uh, pass rushers this this division has brought in? Brown is absolutely right. You can't go in with a backup left tackle against Khalil Mack and Bosa and you know all the pass rushers that, that this division and, and the AFC as a whole have. So uh, it's definitely a leverage move. It's definitely, a, I think, a pretty calculated comment that he made in the media to say, you know, to everybody who's, who will listen, you know, they got to pay me. They don't have a choice. It's going to happen because they don't have a choice. Not because I'm going to cave, because they're going to cave yeah, they they need to see me on the field. I don't think he holds out. I don't think he sits for a year. Um, I don't think he plays on the franchise tag. I think they sign the long term deal sooner or later. But this comment definitely was not as optimistic as I had hoped when I saw the headline. Yeah, and and I just I just think about like how hard it is to find a, a really competent offensive tackle, a left tackle specifically, I guess. I know Brown has some limitations as a pass protector, but I mean, I think his foundation, what he is as a, as a, a floor, I should say, maybe, I think you do sign that. I, I, you know, it would suck if it's, you know, if he really does demand, you know, more than even like Trent Williams, which I don't think he can ask for because he's just not that good. But at the same time, you know, Trent Williams is older and still got that. So. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, go ahead. I, and again, this is a controversial take, but I don't really care how much they they pay him. Uh, yeah. You know, it's they're the team's going to do what's in their best interest in the long term. Uh, I trust that they are responsible with their contracts. They have a track record of not dramatically overpaying for players. Maybe Frank Clark aside, but this team, <laughs> it, you know, the team's in good hands when it comes to the cap, the way they structure their deals they were willing to pay Trent Williams nearly what he got paid. And Trent Williams is what, 33 years old. So um, Orlando Brown with his talent level, his, his ability and his age, he's worth whatever the market says he's worth. And if the market says he's worth more than Trent Williams this year, then it's not saying Orlando Brown is now has to be the number one tackle in the league. All it is saying is that Orlando Brown had all the leverage and he's young and he hit the market at the right time. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it goes into our point we've been making, man, they, they are signing guys that are at an upward trajectory. And I think Brown, you can clearly say, you know, it's not a downward trajectory. He is going to get, I, or we project, and I believe he's going to get better as he goes. And so that's why I'm definitely in favor of signing him. Offensive tackle is also a position. Sometimes you play it the best of your entire career, you know, at 30 or 30. You know, it, it's just it's one of those positions. Mitchell Schwartz is one of the best right tackles in the league two years before he retired. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think Brown is a guy that uh, I'd be in a huge favor of signing. And uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you. It doesn't really matter about the money, but I I do think it'd be a little ridiculous for him to demand that. But supply and demand. This is the market. This is how it works. So at the same time, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, Ron, thanks for letting me ramble with you this time around. And everybody listening, thank you so much for spending some time out of your day with us here on the Out of Structure podcast. Uh, We appreciate you you tuning in all the way through the offseason with all of the lists and all of the projections and all of the, uh, the fun things that we have to talk about. Your questions are valuable. Your reviews, your feedbacks are valuable. 
We appreciate each and every one of you uh, for listening. Uh, look forward to talking to you again here in the next couple of weeks. For Ron Cobb Jr. and Matt Stagner, this is the Out of Structure Podcast. We'll catch you next time.